everybody. Welcome back to the Gray Malkin Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. I have had an opportunity to interview some of my favorite people uh, and have on as guests. Uh, some of those uh, recently, we've had Annie Nascenti and Ian Churchill are two of my very favorite uh, people of all time. Today, I am honored to add one more person to that list. Uh, Mr. Elliot Brown is joining us. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Elliot and his career in just a second. I am also thrilled to be joined by two of my former colleagues on the official handbooks of the Marvel Universe, uh, Gabe Schechter and uh, Jeff Christensen. So I'm thrilled to have Gabe and Jeff here. Gabe and I have uh, met a few times in real life. This is actually my first time uh, talking to Jeff face to face. Uh, so it's really fun to uh, see all of you here. Let's have everybody introduce themselves. Uh, let us know your gender pronouns, where we would know you from. Uh, and, uh, and we're going to kind of just start there. Let's go in the order of uh, Elliot, then Jeff, then Gabe. Uh, I I got a job in the Marvel Comics uh, Photostat department in 1978. My mom knew the guys in production because she worked at the ad agency that serviced Marvel uh, magazine management that owned Marvel at the time. And um, I went on from there. I wanted to be an architect. And so once one of the guys on staff knew that I could draw buildings and you know, spaceships and stuff, such. We were a natural, Mark Grunwald and I were a natural to just start working together. And eventually we got to his uh, assistant editor, Mike Carlin, and we were off to the races. Um, uh, eight uh, short years after that first job, I was bounced out of there by Jim Shooter. God bless him. Yeah, because it was the, the worst thing that ever happened. No, it was a, um, okay. Um, uh, I, I wanted to be do a freelancer. I did. I did the. Um, you know, the Marvel Universe was on staff, but I still worked very hard at it uh, at home and sometimes in the office. And afterwards, I did all the updates, except a bunch. Grooney made the mistake of assigning Greg Wright to be the editor, and Greg gave work to his friends, and some of his friends were okay, and some were not. And uh, so that was too bad. And you can tell their stuff. Um, am I going on too long or no, no, we're you're, introducing you're, people, aren't we? You're fine. Yeah. Let's pause that for just a second. Yeah, Gabe, we're come back and Gabe, I want to ask you Gabe? questions. Come on. What does he do? <laughs> uh, let's go to Jeff next. Uh, Jeff, tell us uh, a little about yourself. Uh, I'm a veterinary surgeon. Um, I live in Florida and um, I was a long-term okay. fan of the Marvel universe. I started collecting comics back in like 78. And uh, yeah, when uh Elliot and Mark Grunewald and the team put together the handbook, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, um, you know, in the early 80s, that was about the coolest thing I ever saw. And I liked all the various incarnations of them. And uh, after the master edition and, and uh, that kind of, you know, fizzled out eventually, there weren't any handbooks around. And around that same time, that's when the Internet was becoming a thing. And uh, so they started seeing websites that had uh, their own characters on them. And uh, so I liked going to those, but everyone had the same characters, the same big characters. And so I ended up wanting to start started my own, the appendix of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, which were the more minor characters that weren't going to get profiles everywhere. And that's how I met Gabriel and, and Chad. And they were writing for me uh, on the appendix. And uh, then because I had some uh, affiliation with the Spider Fan website when Marvel decided to start doing the encyclopedias, I got uh, drafted into helping out with the Spider Man encyclopedia, 
and then uh, the um, and the Marvel Knights one. And I brought in some of my uh, writing team for some of these books. The Marvel Knights one, I, I headed the Punisher one. And then by the time the Fantastic Four came around, they put me in charge of that. And then when the official handbook of the Marvel Universe started up in the 21st century, they put me in charge of that too. And again, I brought in uh, Gabriel and Chad to write uh, for that. And I headed that up for about 10 years. And then between family and business, I had to stage down. And so now I'm just more of a consultant. I still write for them occasionally and I still do the, still do the appendix. Uh, that's, that's my big Marvel activity. I do research on the, the obscure. Good on you. Uh, Jeff, it's trippy talking to you. We've known each other for so long. Like actually having a, a face-to-face conversation is, is yeah, that's cool. Uh, and, and then let's go over to uh, to Gabe. Uh, Gabe, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm a I live in the Chicago area. I'm an attorney. Um, and when I was uh, way back in the early days of the Marvel of the appendix that, that Jeff started. Um, so it's probably like circa 2003. Uh, so it's crazy how long it's been. Um, I was just, you know, I, lo- I always loved comic books from the time I was a little kid. And uh, I was just looking for comic book fan websites and stumbled on the appendix. And, you know, to Jeff's point, it, it focused at, even more so at that time on the very minor characters and I was a devoted fan, but I'd never heard of most of those characters. And I actually said, I don't think this is a Marvel website uh, because I don't know these characters. <laughs> um, uh, I came back around, found the site again a few months later, realized it was a Marvel site. Um, anyway, and uh, I was a, read the site for a while, emailed Jeff, was like, hey, I, I love this. Can I help write some of these? Um, and, Je- you know, Jeff was super cool, was like, yeah, uh, love to have you. and. I uh, started writing these profiles on the, the characters. And then when, when Jeff got uh, recruited and, and needed and, you know, brought us on board, um, I helped out with the Marvel handbooks for a few years. Uh, and I also was able to segue that when I was in college to an internship at Marvel. So I got uh, to spend a summer in New York City in their office. What year? Uh, it was uh, the summer of 2009. It was a while ago now. But okay. um, so it was in special projects with uh, Jeff Youngquist and Jennifer Grunwald and Mark Beasley um, and got to be um, that was, you know, t- at age 21, 22 um, was like a dream just being in that. I mean, I was just running paper around and scanning things, you know, scanning and they were reprinting. That's all um, we did. You're doing yeah, fine. Uh, but it was. I mean, I would have been, but I would have been happy to sweep the floor. You know, I was, um, and, uh, they, they, were, too. Yeah, they, they were spending a lot of time, you know, reprinting old material and digitizing old material. And I helped out with that and got to, you know, bring things to Joe Casada's office for signature and, uh, got to uh, get yelled at by Tom Brevoort. Um, <laughs> and like for, <laughs> Uh, I, I'll, I'll stop in a sec, but I, whenever I needed to run something to Tom Brevoort, I'd always peek my head into his office, like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but so I'm, uh, I'm interviewing Tom on the podcast in a couple of weeks. I'm excited to uh, meet him. He's a, uh, he's, yeah, he's, I'll, I'll stop now. I'll stop right there. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, this is exactly what I'm wanting from today is just to kind of share stories, but let me, let me give a little context here very quickly. Uh, so, uh, for the three of you, at least my, my listeners on the pod know me, my story pretty well, I think, but. 
I uh, I grew up in a kind of rough household. Marvel was always a huge escape for me from reality. Uh, I was in a very conservative religious kind of community uh, as a queer kid who was closeted. Uh, and then uh, writing for Jeff's appendix initially was a huge escape for me through college and like into my 20s, working uh, uh, at Marvel, getting uh, the check with Spider-Man on it in the mail and like spending hours and hours in the basement flipping through old comics that I'd been collecting for years was always such a joy. Uh, I still contribute to the appendix in some ways, uh, especially through the pandemic. Uh, and uh, it's funny. So I had a profile printed in the back of the X-Men Messiah Messiah Complex Handbook in 2008. It has a little picture of me and a little bio. And the bio still talks about me being kind of uh, straight and conservative. And I came out of the closet shortly after I stopped working at Marvel. And <laughs> life has gone through a lot of big changes since then. But it's kind of this little time capsule into the past. Because uh, I worked there for a long time and got to meet a lot of people. But uh, podcasting now and getting to meet people professionally and do this from kind of a different perspective is is uh, very different. Uh, the uh, we we reviewed a book on the podcast recently called All of the Marvels by Doug Walt. We got to interview Doug. Uh, Doug wrote a book about the history of Marvel as a company. Just started uh, reading it. Yeah, I think you were quoted in it a couple times, weren't you? Elliot? Yeah, yeah. And do uh, you mean? Do you mean Sean Howe's book or? Uh, Sean Howe has another book that's pretty okay, great, okay. but we're talking about that's the one I know. I didn't know I was quoted, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, this book kind of gave me a, a really interesting, comprehensive understanding of Marvel as a company. All of us tend to relate to Marvel uh, through the characters that we love, through the, uh, the that have developed over decades of history. Uh, Jeff's love of the obscure stuff has always been something that I adore very much uh, because I relate to that very much as well. I love focusing on the characters that don't get as much love. Um, but the, uh, the the shifting kind of energy of the company and the way people relate to that. And the person who kind of represents that love for these characters, first and foremost in my mind, is Mark Grenwald, who is yeah. sadly no longer with us. But uh, Mark and his team, which included Elliot, put together the encyclopedia of these characters, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, which is uh, legendary and epic. And uh, I've talked to so many people who just flip through pages to look for characters to use in their stories or uh, or people to relate to. Uh, Elliot, will you tell us a little bit about Mark and uh, kind of the, the legend of how the initial handbook came to be, if you would? Okay. It's, 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 I, I, I may pause for a few, a few times because just yesterday, which was the 12th of August was the 26th anniversary of his passing. Yeah. So it was, it, it's a little, a little close still. Most of the junk in my basement is his library, not his comics. Although I do have his masterworks, um, just, you know, his research books and, uh, uh, novels and his comparative religion stash. So that'll give you an idea of how think he was, but he was the least religious person I ever knew. Um, although we believed in a spirituality and, and a, 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 a perseverance after death. So who knows? Who knows? Um, I have, in fact, because of Mark and how well I knew him and how much he wanted to communicate with the beyond, I've come to the, and backwards, by the way, I, I've come to the conclusion that if we do, survive shuffling off um that whatever's going on out there is far too interesting or perhaps there's no way to communicate back but if he, there was a way if there had been a loophole he would have found it and i'm i keep watching let's put it that way just in case um so i was uh uh, uh on my on my blog um i drew a map of 575 madison 
and I put pictures in to show where everybody was. This was, the address, was the, this was the address of Marvel Comics at the yes, time. Yes, 575 Madison Avenue uh, in Midtown Manhattan, which was literally across the street from where I lived with mom in the day. Um, I was 23 or 24, something like that. And um, uh, I was telling Andy Yankis, Yankis, who I've been saying Yankis for too long, um, that I lived across the street and I could, I could, in a raging snowstorm, I could walk across the street with a cup of coffee from my kitchen and go in the back entrance. And he, he said, you son of a bitch, because he took a bus and a train and another bus for three hours every morning. And you walk across the street. <laughs> and I literally walked across a 30 second commute. Yeah. And I also, even, even worse, I didn't have to go in the front door. I had a, I had a key to the back door, which was literally around my area. So I, it was probably 30 seconds if I hustled and the elevator was with me anyway. Um, so I worked, um, I worked in the stat room. Um, I took over a guy, Never mind. And, uh, I worked with a guy, another guy, and we, we had a lot of work. I was basically doing copies of proof rolls. Proof rolls were, um, you may have seen them. It's hard to know what's in the offices in the 2000s. Um, they were rolls of very thin paper that had a black and white version of the, of each negative of each, of each four up flat. And I only wish I'd stolen one or made a copy for myself because I, you can't find them. Yeah, I don't. I, I've looked high and low online, and I can I can't see a damn thing. And that's weird in this day and age. Because if any of them survived or got out of the office, I mean, we made large size photostats of every sheet <laughs> for years, sent them to other countries primarily, but they should be out there anyway. <laughs> um, as you guys know, a comic book is folded several times, but when you unfold it, you get all four pages in a weird arrangement on each flat and you print them all back to back so it's very complicated in fact one of the secrets i was taught early on was how to take those and put them together turn them into a comic book and bend them and fold them and staple them and all that just so you could proof it and make sure the pages were in the right order and you could do it blindfolded and then check the page orders if you got the pad you know the the the, the, the flow right because that's how simple it was but deceptively simple because as you might know, the first and last page are no, the first, the first and second page are the only two that are in the in the right order. And the last page is on the other side of the fold of of a of a comic. So the page 32 is on the same page as one. Anyway, the point is <laughs> the point the point is there I am. I there I am uh, uh, working at Marvel. And I was I was not the world's biggest fan of comics, which is hard to admit. I'm not I'm still not a big enthusiast of superheroes. I my career tended towards the human beings in the pile. Indiana Jones, uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark. Uh, the characters I invented for Spitfire and the Troubleshooter were all people who were inside uh, young people who were inside a robot. Techno steam people before the term was around who were uh, MIT students. Of course, I got that. I got all of that from a dear friend of mine, who attended MIT. Both friends of mine dear, uh, attended MIT. One is a graduate student, so I got plenty of time on campus. I, I hoped to have bring some of that excitement of being a young, dopey kid, surrounded by billions of dollars worth of, of technology, to a comic book. Didn't get a chance. But that's another story. That's the end of the story. Um, so uh, where was I? Yeah, I was uh, Grunwald down the hall. Mark was down the hall. 
he had started off as um, uh, Denny O'Neill's assistant, and then he went off to uh, become Tom DeFalco's assistant. Tom had been bouncing around Harvey Comics and who knows what, everybody doing doing freelance for everybody. And uh, he came on as a as a, an editor. He tapped Gruenwald, and they were literally straight down the hall. Now the old offices were, you go up in the elevator, and you start at one end of a big W. And so you you'd walk around and you could go to the middle area, which the middle of the W had the bathrooms and the other giant stat machine. And then you'd walk around to the other W, and there I was at the end. And Gruenwald was at the turn of that last W. So we were really there all the time. Um, and ultimately, we went out for food, and we talked, and I showed him some silly old drawings of mine. Um, I was a, a, a strange and lonely child. It may come as a surprise to hear me so garrulous now, but I was very quiet then. I used to draw isometric drawings as soon as I knew what it was. Yes, all constant angle drawings. Um, and Mark was very impressed at that point. And ultimately we got together and did a couple of small projects that never went anywhere, but um, downright goofy projects come to think of it, but they didn't go anywhere. And then he had the weird idea of putting all the characters in a contest. So that every how to how to get every character in a book, contest of champions. Sure. The weirdness was, and this this was this is an interesting evolution because it turns into exactly what he did on the uh, on Ohatmu, which was Ohatmu for everybody uh, being the acronym for official handbook of the Marvel universe. We just call it Ohatmu often. O h o t m u. Uh, go ahead. Emphasis on the moo because he's from Wisconsin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so there we. So um so um um and yes, he ate cheese to distraction. Um. So um. If a character was associated with a penciler or even an inker, I think he had the same inker. But anyway, he would try to get the penciler to come in. Or he'd ship off the pages to them, and they would draw their own characters isolated on the page. There'd be a background, or there'd be a, a, a sketch in advance, and there could be five or six different pencilers on each page doing different their their own character. You know, their their most closely associated character, um, and that just went on and on for the whole book. It drove um, Millie. You, you guys know Millie, maybe some of them. You might have got her before she retired. Um, she was still legendary uh, in the 2000s, I understand. Um, when they fired her, they had to hire four people mm. to just get payroll going and process all of the... Eh, anyway, um, unsung hero, Millie Sheriff. So uh, Grunwald had this, this idea where he would organize everything and he had his people working on all the characters. And I forget who wrote the story, but it was a pain in the ass, whatever it was. And, um, and I'm the one doing photostats of pickup art and regular art. And if somebody drew something on a page that had been done on a light box that had been inked with the characters just floating there, I did the stats and they got pasted down. So the pages probably look like, you know, a, a dog's breakfast, a real chewed up mess, which is fine. Fine. But um, uh, I don't now. Now, there's a bit of. OK, there's there's a real controversy over who figured out to do this first. Mark, I fall on Mark's side, but Shooter make some good claims. He thought he had, somebody had either given him a copy of Jane's All, of, uh, All the World's Fighting Ships, 
which is a very specialized um, military um, subscription, which you can get for $250 a year. And they will send you a fresh book the size of the Manhattan, the old Manhattan phone book, filled with endless detail about every battleship, destroyer, corvette, aircraft carrier in all the military of the world. It's got to be a 400, 500 page book. I love it, but I couldn't afford it. And I, I knew Jim had a copy in his office, but now exactly when I don't remember because Jim says that he had this book and he showed it to Mark and he says, we got to do that. But what people forget, I mean, I've, I've revealed this in the blog, but if, you know, it's pretty specific. I mean, if you don't know the blog, you don't read everything, you, you miss all of this little, these little inside tidbits. But we, we had done a copy of his, um, he had done, he had done a, a, a magazine, a, a, a serious fantasy analysis magazine called uh, Alternity. Alternity? Yeah, I think so. No, that was the name of his Omni company. Omniverse. Thank you so much. Bless you. Yes, Omniverse. And um, he had done two. We did the third one after hours. And we did it in the 80s, um, the early 80s, because we did it literally uh, around the time we moved downtown to 387 Park Avenue. And we all put the book together. He said, okay, we're, we're going to imitate a, a magazine style. We're going to have a whole new look because his, his early stuff was pretty patchwork. And uh, he had a famous collector guy who, who, made, uh, who ran type on the side, um, George Olszewski, uh, to do all the, the type. So we had tons of type, but I had just transitioned into being the typesetter um, that using a computerized typesetting machine for the first time at Marvel. And I was the, the second person to run it. Um, and I could make corrections and I could generate articles and that sort of thing. Um, and we put this book together. And if you don't know Omniverse, it was, it had obscure characters. It had, um, it tried to make a, a case for um, attaching uh, significance to all of the small characters in literature and fantasy literature, especially, and both houses of comics and anybody else who came along and tried to connect Fu Manchu to Doc Savage and, and, and Iron Man. And I mean, it was really, it was pretty weird stuff, um, even for Mark, but he loved it. He, that's what he did. To the point, he would do charts of who was related to who. Now I think you guys can sense there's a commonality there yep. to what ultimately turned up in the in in the armory. Uh, I'm okay. Um, just, I need my sugar. <laughs> get, get, some, get some more cookies. And <laughs> well, uh, while you're doing that, Elliot, let me interject. Yeah. Uh, in the early '60s books, we uh, yes. we see Marvel often drawing upon its own history. Right, Captain America comes back in Avengers Four, uh, bringing a character pretty smart to go. Uh, yeah. Namor's there. You get things like the X-Men showing up at the wedding of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, or uh, the Unicorn fights Iron Man and then fights the X-Men afterwards. So Crossovers, you, this, big juju. This, yeah, the shared universe concept mm -hmm. uh, was really picked up by you guys. And even reflecting yeah. on the four of us, there's something magical about a group of passionate, dedicated... I mean, in this room, we have an illustrator, a veterinary surgeon, a lawyer, and a clinical social worker cool. who would sit down yeah. and ask and questions a lawyer. Like, Good Lord. 
uh, who'd, who'd ask questions like, where does, uh, you know, Giant Man draw his mass from? There must be another dimension. And how do Spider-Man's web shooters work? And wait, where does this issue fit in between these two adventures? Uh, there's something just deliciously nerdy and scholarly about the whole thing. So as you're talking about Omniverse, that's where my brain goes. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, nerdy and scholarly. Um, it was summed up much, much more so than even Grunwald or anybody else for that matter. Peter Sanderson, if you've ever met Peter. Within a few words, you'll find out that he is a super genius with probably a photographic memory. Hard to, the funniest thing he ever does is he says, well, yes, I remember in issue seven on, on panel 17 of a, of a very complex page, there was a Mr. X uh, lifted a finger, but I should uh, double check that. And you look it up, you know, an hour later, and you find, yeah, he did. He's right. So he was, he was pretty funny, but he was, he would always go for his reference. In fact, we used to call him Professor X because he would Xerox everything and take it home. Yeah, the, te the technology clearly being very different back then, obviously. Yeah. Oh, it's hard to relate, you kids, you with your <laughs> whiz bang fax trollers and your TVs. Yeah. Um, Somebody was uh, 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 reminding me that I had done the Punisher Armory uh, at a time when there was no internet. And I said, I did it by having subscriptions to seven magazines, gun magazines, the NRA, survivalist magazines, all sorts of stuff. That's how I did it. <laughs> I bought books about machine guns and, and the guns of the world and history of weapons and all of that junk. I still have them. You know, it's, it's, I feel terrible throwing them away. Because it was took me a lot to go through every page and find the gold I needed. So a lot of anyway, what you're a lot yeah. of what you're famous for, Elliot, is doing the tech stuff, drawing the yes. interiors of the buildings, drawing the layouts of the grounds, the interior yeah. of the machines. You you keep referencing the armory, which is uh, the the Punisher book that would design all his weapons yes. and show you how they work. Uh, no, 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 those were real guns. Oh, yeah, almost every one of them. Yep, I didn't have to make up a thing. I did have to search hard to find what I thought was the appropriate type of weapon. Yeah. And the, the 15th issue. Yeah. 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 Still kills me. That was, I, I did that. That took three and a half months of uh, hard labor. There are, uh, there are legendary stories about the original creators, you and Peter and Mark and others kind of camping yeah. out at the offices and sleeping bags. Camping is the word, but it, it was more than that. Um, we just, we stayed, we realized we couldn't, we couldn't do this and go home. I mean, Grunwald was married, which was, as I may, may have pointed out to you guys, is a terrible, a terrible liability when you're trying to get work done. And uh, so he had to he had to go home and make an appearance every night. And he generally did. It was very difficult for him to get away from the, the first wife. And um, Carlin lived in Brooklyn and he wanted to go home as often <laughs> as he could. But he stayed. We, we all stayed a couple of nights. And I lived uptown. I was the bachelor. I mean, you know, Mark, uh, no, Carlin was a bachelor too, but I think he was seeing people on and off during the, the whole thing. It was, you shouldn't have a private life when you're trying to do this sort of thing. We, I, I, I pointed out and years ago, I figured out that we had done, uh, we took so much overtime. We ultimately, we got paid for it, which was the problem. We, I put in, my biggest overtime was 153 hours. Jeez. And if you'll, if you do the numbers, that's only a, f a few hours shy of a full week, a full seven day period, which I think is 168. So you thank you 15 hours of not working, you know, which is a cab home, throw yourself into your stinking heap of a bed, eat a Chinese meal and then go back. That's, that's exactly what I did. That's nuts. And 
and it was not easy. <laughs> it was, I, and um, uh, those guys did the writing, and I did. Then I did. I did the typesetting. I also did the writing. One of the things you point out is looking at some of the drawings and maybe getting an idea. I invite anyone to reread the powers section, and I almost all of the powers I wrote, and I recommend you look for story points and elements and details that are in there because I I was coming up with stuff. I said, boy, that'll make an interesting story. And oh, wouldn't that be fun? No, well, blah, 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 just, blah. To, just to put this Get in going. context, put this in context for listeners. And I'll have, I'll have, uh, you know, Jeff and Gabe contribute here too. one of the entries yes. I remember doing for the official handbook. And this is easier in the digital age than it was back then. Cause we can communicate over email. You can scan things. Uh, I had to do the character claw. Who's the fantastic four villain who's appeared dozens of times and you have to sit down, generate a list of appearances, pick out all the individual books, read every appearance, and then make them all make sense. And I remember, mm-hmm. as you're talking about writing power sections, I remember, okay, in Secret Wars, uh, you know, Claw was chopped up into pieces. In this issue, he could do this. In this issue, he could do this. How do we write this section to make the powers make sense when they don't always match from appearance to appearance? Even the prospect of sitting down at these tables you're talking about in your 160-hour work weeks and creating an alphabetical list of characters that you want to feature and yeah. all of their appearances. Yeah, and then that's what Peter Sanderson came. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tremendous, tremendous feat. Uh, yeah. Let's let's pause for just a second, and sure. uh, Jeff, let me switch to you for just a minute. Tell us, uh, you you gave us a little bit of insight into how you started the appendix, which I know is a really beloved site. It also has a reputation we're being very trustworthy. Like as people are seeking out information, yours is one of the sites that they feel like they can trust, unlike Wikipedia or or even Marvel Wiki, uh, which is pretty inconsistent often. But the appendix, a lot of people really depend and rely on. Uh, how did that turn into uh, uh, working on the handbooks uh, itself? Tell us a little bit about your journey and putting out the second volume of these books. Um, so <clears throat> I when I, uh, I mentioned before about you know, when there was the break between the handbooks and uh, the internet was starting up and everything like that, <clears throat> I started, uh, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't have any website knowledge or experience. And so I started writing profiles for uh, uh, Spider-Man, which one was it? Uh, Spider-Fan, the Spider-Fan website. Yeah. Um, and uh, so again, I was writing the profiles on, obscure. you know, I actually, I wrote, I, I wrote in and I said, you know, you have all these profiles on all the big characters. You know, why don't you do some on the little ones? And I remember the head of the site said, why don't you do them? You write them, you submit them, and we'll publish them. I'm like, oh, sure. So I did. I didn't care for their format quite as much and everything. And so I decided eventually to go out on my own. And I bought a, uh, you know, website, uh, websites for dummies uh, book and got started <laughs> and figured it out eventually. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of primitive stuff working, um, and building, uh, and gathered, you know, progressively, um, you know, more and more writers to help out. And well, and, and just put to put together. into context quickly, how long have you had this website around now? Uh, we just had our 20th anniversary yeah. in, uh, in September of last year. Congrats. So yeah. Yeah. That's so a lot, brother. And just going to, on, thanks. And just to plug something else about the appendix. It's got almost 15,000 profiles now. Um, you know, it's incre- incredible. But, and the, the, I, Jeff, I'm going to, I don't mean to steal it. I'm going to send it right back to you. But over the years, like people have come and gone from this team, um, you know, but 
like between all these people, 15,000 profiles almost. So it's pretty incredible. Thanks. Yeah, no, and and actually, and actually, you know, a lot of the profiles have sub profiles and some of them may have five or 10. So there's there's actually a lot of a lot of stuff on there, but it's amazing. I had made an estimate of how many characters and everything there are in the Marvel universe, and it just keeps going up. And it's probably closer to a hundred thousand. Um, so we got a ways to go. Um, you, you, but uh, I to, anyway, I have to jump in because when we were doing the when we were doing the 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 the, the handbook, we stopped at six thousand, and they wanted to know marketing wanted to know everybody, and I think. I have just recently read somewhere that there's 8,000 characters. So I believe you don't get me yeah. wrong, but the things have sure been galloping along. I think that's amazing. Elliot, I, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would say we probably have 20,000 characters covered on the site, 15,000 of them huh. full official handbook profiles okay. and so forth. And uh, yeah, there's no end in sight and we've diverged yeah. out. Yeah. I'm talking about, we can talk cool. about the, you know, the multiverse is all the different realities we have. I then, told them not to do that. I told okay. them, don't do it. I remember outside I a, I outside remember. the multiverse. Then um, you've got these things like you know, like the new universe was one of the big ones, and and other things too. <sighs> and Waterloo, <laughs> mainstream characters, and all these different series and yeah. books from yeah. Rivera and things like that too. And so we're covering, you know, we cover all <laughs> those. But yeah, there's a there's a ton. So anyway, it, it's it's never ending um, to do all that. But when yeah. we um, when they started doing the encyclopedias. That was, a, and those came out kind of because of the movies. Um, you know, they, they did. Uh, right, right. A little you know, late, and but cap- better late than never. Yeah, to capitalize on the on the profitability mm-hmm. of the movies and everything like that. They started doing the encyclopedias. And, and the first ones um, did not have the same level of research and everything. Uh, but they started, as the books went on, Spider-Man is one of the ones that they, they drafted they drafted the people who had websites on the characters to write these encyclopedias. And so spider fan was one and uh, John, uh, John Cooper smart ran that and he realized it was way too much for him. Um, and so he wrote, uh, he wrote the book um, or he, he took credit for the book. We got special thanks. Um, but uh, we, um, My we special did, thanks too. Uh, a lot. Yep. <laughs> a lot of the profiles and then certainly, and then the, the idea that I, came up with was hey there's too many characters why don't we folk would do all these big profiles and then have like 20 pages or 10 10 pages of appendix and that would be kind of like in the in the contest of champions in the back of them where they had the little glossary pre-official handbook right. of the marvel universe the listing of right. all the characters yep. um we we did that then for a bunch of those and uh you know as we did that uh i think jeff youngquist realized that you know, I had, you know, a, a good amount of knowledge on that. So when they did the Marvel Knights Encyclopedia, which was Daredevil, Punisher, Ghost Rider, Blade, Elektra. Um, and this is put me 2004, the... I think, if I'm getting my years right. Probably, yeah, three, probably 2003, something like that. Um, and then uh, as we wrote the book, I think Jeff Youngquist realized that I knew more about or at least had comparable knowledge of Daredevil to the guy who wrote the Daredevil section. Same with Ghost Rider, same with Blade. And so the next book was the Fantastic Four Encyclopedia, and he put me in charge of that. And then the next thing to follow that was the, um, the, the we started the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And uh, so again, I ran the Avengers one, and there was a guy who was ahead of the X-Men one, Eric Morales, and 
John uh, Cooper Smart was in charge of Spider-Man and, and vice versa. But I think by the time in that first year we got to the Book of the Dead, uh, that was going to encompass every, you know, all the different genres. That's when they put me in charge of it. Um, and so I ran that for for 10 years. And my my probably my crowning accomplishment of that was the, the A to Z hardcover, um, 14 edition, 240 pages um, uh, of, of profiles on that. I, uh, I got a chance to meet Stan Lee and I uh, brought him, uh, showed him a copy of the book. And uh, I said, you know, hey, Stan, you know, big fan of yours. Uh, I wrote this book we, you know, for Marvel. We did this. And there was a line of people waiting. And Stan just he took the book and he just started flipping through it and looking at it. And uh, he finally looked up at me and goes, you wrote this? I said, well, I ran it. I, I, there, I have other writers and like that. He goes, this is incredible. This is an incredible piece of work. And then, you know, he signed it and, and moved on. So it was, it was good cool for thing. you. Yeah. What I did also, I also met, I met Drew uh, one time, I actually came to New York, uh, probably in high school and uh, wanted to tour the Marvel offices. And so we're all excited. And we got there and there was like construction going on. And so it was closed and you couldn't do that. And uh, I remember they're like, well, how do we get out of there? And like, oh, the elevator's over there. And so I'm standing in front of the elevator with my friend and this guy walks by and he's like, take the stairs. And he's like walking down and he's like, kids. And he shakes his head. And I see this That's Robbie. ponytail. I saw this ponytail flipping that back was... and forth. And like 10 oh, no, seconds later, I'm like, that was Gru. That was yeah, Gru. That was and we, we run down the stairs and he's gone. So that's my encounter with Gru. <laughs> so to get people... bad. To give people a little understanding of what this is like, if you're maintaining a database on these characters, and I'll focus just on early X-Men, you have characters like Carol, who was Jean Grey's college roommate, who shows up in one panel. You've got villains like Meccano, Yikes. who shows up in one issue. You have other characters who debut in X-Men, like Locust or Cobalt Man, who go on to other titles, but they're still not used much. And then you get characters like Juggernaut, who's appeared hundreds of times over the years at this point. On top of that, you end up getting a lot of series that are set retroactively in continuity. So focusing on X-Men again, you have things like X-Men, uh, First X-Men, and X-Men The Hidden Years, and X-Men First Class. And some of them are considered in continuity, and some are not. And you have to wedge particular issues <laughs> in between pages of certain things. Untold, Untold Tales of Spider-Man is a great example of this. Uh, it's, it's a headache. And then you've got the alternate realities, which I know is Jeff's favorite thing, keeping a database <laughs> of... You know, reality 1942-7B, <laughs> where Captain America had a dream he was a cat one time, and that has to go in the encyclopedia somewhere. It's a, it's a really <laughs> fascinating thing, but it's a lot to wrap your brain around, and it can get pretty right. overwhelming sometimes. Uh, 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 Gabe, uh, Elliot, and Jeff, let me hear all of you share, what's one of the biggest headaches you ever had uh, working on the handbooks? In, in one of your designs <laughs> or projects, what's, uh, what's something that you found particularly frustrating? Uh, Gabe, do you want to go first? Yeah, you know, I, I hear from you. Um, and I, and then I'll save it for a second, but I, I also have a story for you guys when it comes to trying to figure out how many characters there are um, that I think you're going to find entertaining. But, you know, when it, when it came to the handbooks, um, I, so I did a, I'll say about the handbooks, like when we were working on those, and you have a character who's been around for decades and you go, you at least skim, um, you know, like dozens, hundreds of issues. If you're working on a big character, like I, before the character blew up with the Marvel movies, like 10 years ago, I did the profile on Thanos, which was, uh, you know, Thanos has a complicated chronology. 
Um, they're always going into his past. Um, but the, I did a profile on the Asgardians, like the race of the Asgardians. And that's the one where I basically sat down with like, um, all of my, you know, like those old essential Thor volumes that had like 25 issues each and, uh, my back issues. And, and like, I, uh, at least skimmed like almost every Thor comic at the time to, and like, I'd always pick out like these nice guardians who just show up once, you know? And, um, so that was, that was like the profile that I was proud of. It was the longest profile I think I ever did. It was one I was really, really proud of and that ended up looking really beautiful with all of the, with a ton of great images that, that we chose. And, um, it, and the handbooks, when you do that, you know, when you you thumb through dozens, hundreds of issues, um, piece it together. I mean, I want to just say like something when we were working on those handbooks, the hand, you had, it was a labor of love. You know, you have to, to work on these handbooks, you have to love comics, you, you know, and you just have and, to, and also have a lot of free time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was a poli sci major at the time in college. So like, you know, <laughs> I had a, I had plenty of free time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sure. yeah, that was to have to have another source of income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or so that's the, um, I want to just before I forget, you know, because we were talking earlier, how many characters are there? I just thought you guys might find this anecdote funny. When I had that internship at Marvel in the summer of 2009, late in the summer, um, they they pulled a ton of people off what they were doing and pulled me just in as well and said, we need you to just all work together to catalog every Marvel character and just like give us a list of their name and who created them. And, um, they, they weren't telling us what it was for. They're like, and we're not like, they, they said Marvel studios wants it. Like they didn't tell us what it was for, what it was for. I, I learned a few weeks later was that I guess they were closing in on the Disney Marvel acquisition. Um, and I, I think Disney just needed like, I think they were working on like a catalog for Disney of what, what exactly it is they were buying. And they, they tapped to the hand potential sources of income. I don't know if you remember, Jeff, they actually tapped the handbook team to, to do this too. And they were like, and and you had a bunch of the handbook writers just like going through the, uh, you know, the appendix, your master list. And, and, uh, anyway, it was, it was pretty wild that, um, you know, that it was, so God knows how many characters there are, but I just so you're worth like, a, you, 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 you ran them up to a, to three billion dollars, the third billion, or what was it that fifty thousand dollars left over? Was that you? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> anyway. I, that's the purchase price that Disney paid. That's what. Yes. I, that's what I. Mean. I got a little far afield there, but. Uh, oh no, no, you're great. About... So, Gabe, you no, no, that's writing, fascinating. Gabe, you should writing the story or the the entry on the Asgardians. I remember doing the entry on the alien race, the Shi'ar, and having to do the same thing because mm. you yeah. have a section where it's known members, and you have to pick out every little name. They. The character who piloted some, piloted some ship in some issue and he has a name and it's got to go on the list and then you get the entry done and now there's another 30 years of continuity after that and so you have to go back and add all that to it that was the 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 hard hard covers that jeff was talking about those big updates but now it's uh now it's got to be maintained still uh elliot same question from before uh can you think of a, a project or or uh, something that gave you a particular headache It's it's a it's a it's a multiverse of of headaches. It was the, the the physical challenge. The hardest thing to do was to. I had my regular nine to five job, 
typesetting where I generate whatever was demanded and it was straight through the day. Sometimes I would stop for a quick lunch and then I'd start typesetting in the evening. And then we'd start after a, a meal, we'd share a meal, we'd go down to Smilers on Park Avenue and, and we'd get some horrible chicken and we'd eat it. It wasn't horrible, it was delicious. And um, then we'd start at whatever time that was, 5.36, whatever it was. And then we would, I would, I'd often, there'd be pages handed to me where I would, it would have, um, have Elliot write the power section. So I'd figure it all out. I'd do that. I'd, uh, the typesetting computer back then, it's hard <laughs> to describe to anybody who's familiar with a modern computer. The typesetting computer was made in the, in the late seventies and it was um, DOS based. And if you guys should be jumping because it was it was incredibly slow, but it did it did one thing very well. It set type. I'm not even going to tell you how. What I had was a screen this big, a, a an amber monochrome screen, and that's and I had an electronic keyboard which was brand new to me, lovely to work on. It was you know it was a little tippy tappy thing. It just wasn't mechanical because that's what I'd used all up until then. And I'd sit there and I'd type, you know, I'd, that's, I'd, I'd, I'd start typing and I'd make it up. I'd, I'd use it as a word processor, which is not the best possible thing to do, but that's what I had. And um, then about 11.30, midnight, those guys would go home. I had drawings to do. So whenever, one o'clock, whatever, whatever time I was, I, I bid farewell to everybody. I'd take over a desk in the bullpen and I'd start drawing something. Depends on what I had to do. Daredevil's apartment was one that stood out um, because it was just late enough in the year that. So here's here's a nasty secret of the old 387 Park Avenue. The window wall, which was on 27, uh, 20, yeah, 27th Street, was stone, and even though they had uh, insulated windows replacing all the old windows, it was stone, so it shed temperature. The, the all the editorial offices, they turned the heat off. They'd shut down the heat plant at closing time, basically when the cleaning staff was done at nine. And, and so it would just get colder and colder. And we're all sitting there freezing to death. But those guys went home. I had to keep working. And so I was doing a drawing uh, straight through the night. <clears throat> and when I, I tell the story on my blog where one of the nice office secretaries came down to see I used to get coffee from the coffee room and she sees me working away. And she comes over and she's, hi, Elliot. You're ah, like that because I turned to, you know, I could barely move and I was, I was freezing to death. And then she got me some coffee and that's why I still love her. <laughs> I didn't marry her. That's another person. And um, <laughs> uh, it was very hard. And I got sick one night, I but I still kept working. I was freezing to death and I, literally pulled my coat around me and, and slept on a, on a, I pulled, if we slept in the offices, it was death. So we couldn't sleep in the offices. We had to move into the interior of the building. And if we knew we were going to be in there when the office started up again, we had to go into the Xerox room, which all we had to do was turn the Xerox machine on and it generated enough heat to keep the place toasty warm. And that's what we did. It's hard to, it's hard. Okay. So and one of the characters, the, the, the biggest headache I got was Stiltman because it was a drawing that I started. I love Stiltman. I know I still do. He's so funny. It's my, it's my catchphrase title. Um, 
how, uh, how I had the best, uh, best job in the world and, uh, uh, on the way learned. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you, sir. On the way I learned that Stiltman could not see his feet. You'll notice on the drawing, there's a mirror that looks down on his neck that looks down to the ground below. If I'd been doing it nowadays, I'd be, I'd say it was a TV camera. Jeff yeah. is holding this up, but you'll have to check yes. your your, uh, your original handbooks for the yes, battlesuit so. design. His battlesuit. But I realized here he is. I mean, the Stiltman alone is one of these crazy ideas. It's so crazy, it can't possibly work anywhere except now through computer generated images. But back then in a comic book, you can't have anybody walking around with this thing. But he can't see his footfall. And I I just I just I realized I'm drawing the collar and I'm looking at the head and I said. He can't see his feet. He can't see where he's walking because Al Milgram had him stepping over buildings and he couldn't possibly see the ground. I just started, I laughed hysterically. I got myself, I hurt myself. I laughed so hard. The worst part about that drawing was I was so far along in it and I had started these terrible legs. They were just terrible. And I made sure they were, they were hydraulic rams. And then I made them, I didn't like the way that they, they wouldn't work. And so I made them uh, square cross-section. And if you know anything about hydraulic ramps, there's no such thing. And for a good reason, it's, it just isn't going to, all the, all the corners are going to leak. And so I'm ashamed of that one. And I'm sorry, but I can admit it here amongst friends. <laughs> and it, it's, it just was stupid. It was a, a stupid thing. And I said, okay, oh, fuck, nobody will notice. Oh, God damn it. He still can't see his feet. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot you may be pleased to know there is now a character in the Marvel Universe called Lady Stiltman as well. How do I miss this? <laughs> How not, do not I Lady miss Stiltman. this? Not, not Stilt Woman, but Lady no, Stiltman. Lady, Lady Stiltman. Stiltman. <laughs> you know what? That's respectful. I don't mind that. Uh, Jeff, do you want to share... She doesn't uh, have to see her feet either. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to share a headache story with us? Um. Well... <clears throat> Yeah, the, the biggest the biggest headache um, at the time and, and technology progressed as we were doing it. But they used to they used to mail us the proofs and then we would have to, you know, read through them and then, you know, submit stuff back. And we were communicating via email and we would we, then we progressed to sending word documents via an email group. We used to just have like multiple emails and you're counting on people getting it and then maybe they're working on ver version five and you're working on version seven. And so material was lost and it, it got, it got better as time went on, but we had, um, we had a big team of uh, writers. We assembled, we had people from uh, England, Scotland, Australia, Canada, Austria, uh, Italy, all, all over the place. And so or, different, or different... speaking for myself, the most foreign place of all Idaho. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Different, different time zones, different, you know, um, people, and some of the people were, you know, even English as a second language. Um, and so it was hard and, you know, you're basically the amount of time it took you to get in to do everything. It, it probably, you got paid like a dollar an hour by the time you're done with it. And so I'm there, you know, the, the joke, I would be like the Nick Fury, come on, you gold bricks, get your, get your, you know, get your work done, get You're your projects done. Let out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Get, get this all done and, and yeah. do that and dealing with all the personalities. So that was, that was always difficult. The, the, the two, pro, I would mm -hmm. want to say that the two profiles I'm most proud of, one was Kang the Conqueror. Um, when I went and I, I took uh, all of his appearances and went through all the information I sorted out all of the 
Kang, Immortus, the Ramatut, Scarlet Centurion, all of them, put it all in the Iron Condex. I did all of those. And I also made two sets of timelines. One was chronological appearances of Kang, and one was the appearances of Kang as they occurred in real time. Um, And so I went through and sorted that all out. Um, And that was a cool one. And then uh, the, the, the biggest one I did was the Hulk. Uh, for the World War Hulk handbook. And um, that was, I, I kind of knew my my free time was going to start coming to an end. My wife was pregnant um, with our first child. And uh, so I was, I was like, all right, I'm doing this one. And then I'm going to back, gonna have to back off. And uh, so I went, I took every, every appearance of the Hulk, all his comics and every appearance everywhere. I went through them and I found, oh, his, his, elementary school teachers mentioned here his his pediatricians mentioned here all this all of his colleagues all of these things i went through all of them and i made notes and at the time we had a bibliography that we put in the back of the handbooks and then we ran out of space and we did an online one so my online bibliography that had all of the hulk's appearances that we still have that i think on the on my website accessible but that was a that was a cool one he was always my favorite character and going off on one more tangent um i saw uh we went to one of the conventions and lou ferrigno was there obviously the hulk um from the the 70s tv show and uh so we went and got a picture and we got a you know a cool picture with you know our family with you know gigantic six foot six even though he's 68 years old he's got these arms that are like that size and uh so i bought a picture from him and then i gave him the hulk handbook and uh, I said, I wrote this and, and you know, he's, he's hard of hearing. So you just have to you know, get up and close and talk to him. And I said, yeah, I wrote this. This is for you. And he looks at it and he's like, for me? I'm like, yeah. And he, again, he flips through it. And right off the bat, he turns and walks away, goes over and puts it in his briefcase, seals his briefcase and shakes my hand. And that's nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I, want to I can't believe you did that. Oh, go ahead, Dan, sorry. Parker. That sounds impossible. I was just to say, I can't believe like it's not just like my head hurts even thinking about trying to piece together like the chronology the continuity chronology of gang yeah. conqueror so head hurt uh, yeah yeah you're crazy it's all the different references that's what you have to that, you're that was crazy. always the hard <laughs> that was always the hard part is like you know one story says this one story says this they say it's from the 41st century this says it's from the 31st century and blah 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 and they say well the reason for that is because there's a different timeline in his reality because everything got, you know, the world was devastated and they're living in this, you know, almost, um, you know, like a Mad Max sort of setting for a while. And then they restarted again. So you could have explanations of why they would have different dates for things and uh, that sort of thing. But uh, And that takes you up to Kang at that time. And then Kang's appeared another hundred times since then. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, it. I used to um, actually Chad does this now, but I used to index all of the comics and I have. I've got a, uh, I've got close to forty thousand comics, and um, I Not used bad. to index all of them. And up till two thousand eight, I I did. I had, I would get the comics and index everything that went on in them, and that would help keep it you know fresh in my memory. And then again, um, family and everything and business. I don't have time to do that anymore and keep track of it. And then, how old your kid? Uh, my son's fourteen uh, now. Put him to work. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so he's uh, and then my daughter's eleven. And, and just to, to throw in there, like, just because we 
we've all known each other for so long, just over, but always over the internet. Joe, I can't believe, I just, I remember when, when you had the first kid that is, I just had, that's crazy that your kid is 14. And he's like my, yeah, he's like my size already. And I was, uh, at his age, uh, I was like 10 inches shorter than he is now. So. My kids are 13 and 11. We're on a we're on a similar trek. Uh, I and to give people some real world context before we kind of shift gears here a little. Uh, I uh, I got paid way back when I think 20 pages or 20 dollars per published page in a book. Yeah. And uh, Jeff would send out spreadsheets. We would select different characters to work on. So one example, I remember doing the character Maria Hill, who was like the female head of uh, Shield after Nick Fury stepped down. And I got one page for Maria, which is not much room, but you still have to read all of her appearances. And when I signed up for her, I had no idea. She had appeared like over 150 times. And so you're going through all these books and you can only write so many words. Uh, you you like 10, 10 books you read, maybe one comma on your page or two words. Uh, and then you finish it all and you've spent 15 hours and you get $20 for the final page. You know, it was it was a shit ton Sweet, of work. Huh? Uh, and so what Jeff said about getting like a dollar an hour, that's basically kind of what it equated yeah, to. That, when I and said then the four like rounds of, of and then the four rounds of proofs where you have to go through and read everyone else's work and proof them and you'd fix the mistakes that they made. And then when you'd send them back, they'd make more mistakes and they'd have to <laughs> fix those and do that. And that would come in. Here it is 10 o'clock at night. We need it by 8 a.m. So a lot of this, uh, a lot of our conversation be, could be wrapped up under uh, under just kind of a love letter to Mark Grenwald if, uh, if we just summed it up into one theme. Uh, Elliot, you mentioned earlier, it's pretty close to the anniversary of, of Mark's death, 26 yeah. years. Uh, Mark, is, yeah. Mark is beloved. He is my number one hero at Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. if I had to choose one. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the day he died, if you're willing to share? Okay, well, the trouble with the day he died was that we didn't know he died. We... Mark, um, Mike, Mike and I had talked. I'd come in to see Mike. Um, Mike, uh, Mark Mike was, Carlin. Mike Carlin, who was at DC. And I'd see Mike a few times. And Mark was usually always busy. And, he, you know, for good reason. He had a, he had a, at the time, he had a nine-year-old. And I, I hadn't seen him for about a year. And so um, Mike and I have decided we're going to pull a daring daylight raid on the offices. And we're just going to go sit in Mark's office. And, you know, my getting Mike away was a big deal. So we had to make some moves. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in town working at penthouse magazine, penthouse comics at the time. And I get a call from Mike and Mike, Mike's voice trembled and Mike doesn't tremble except in rage. And it's a different sound. <laughs> and he said, I think, I think Mark's dead. And, uh, he, somebody, he, he'd done something. He'd either called somebody or he, I, I can't remember the exact mechanism because it's a little bit of a blur. And so I called over in the office and yeah, they, they, they couldn't, they couldn't say it officially. And I said, it's Elliot Brown. And they said, Oh yeah, he's, he's died. He's dead. That was bad. That was a bad day. But Mike and I got together anyway. And we, uh, we, and he we, was, uh, he was, we talked six. Am I remember? 43. 43, 43, which, is, which yeah. is my age. That's so young. Oh, oh, yes. Well, do a little bit more exercise. Don't eat so much cheese and bread. And um, <laughs> yeah, um, Mark. Funny. OK, the funniest thing about Mark. Is that he kept a dream diary where he would wake up and he'd write down in this really cramped handwriting. I've got the book over. I keep it around and it's so like it's a run-on sentence. The, you know, for, it's one of these spiral-bound student notebooks. 
very small, but jammed, corner to corner, page no no margins, no nothing. And uh, every day for years, um, he was a note taker, an obsessive uh, uh, collector. Whenever he wanted, he he was luckily in in the middle years of his life, he had financial success, did a lot of freelance. He had cash coming in. He could do anything. He bought three copies of every uh, toy so that you had one to screw around with, one to one to one to keep in the in the package and one for backup, one for emergency. So that's that's that probably sums up Mark in the sweetest way because he was crazy. And when I call you crazy. Jeff, I'm, I mean, you're nuts in the best possible way. Um, <laughs> driven to read every word. Uh, Mark yeah. had complete runs of both houses. And he would often upgrade when he could afford it. I remember uh, Catherine, his second wife, talked about how she was astonished to, to see him pay 600 bucks for a Green Lantern comic. He already had several, but this was the best one. I'm sure he had all of them you know, stacked next to each other and graded on the, on the, on the cover, on the, the bag. So yeah, Mark was, uh, Mark was a big sweetheart. He was a good guy. You know, not a saint. I, you know, someday I'll tell you the, the you know, some of the horrible things he did, but not today. I would um, love to talk more about Mark, about Mark, uh, with you. Yeah. Uh, As a creator, like, you know, when we, even today, when we read what Mark Gruenwald's comics, um, you, you could just see, it's it's just so palpable. Like this was a person who, like you know, absolutely loved comics. Uh, and there's certain creators when it's just you know, um, you know, we're like that that relationship between like the reader and the creator. When you can tell, like you almost feel connected to them when you because you know you can you you have this like shared affection that like that you know you have the shared affection for the the character like. You know, even today, when you when you look at like Mark Gruenwald, some of his like the crazy stuff he did, like the and Captain America with the to this day on the like the appendix, folks, which sometimes we'll have like you know like the like the weapons expo where we're like we're still trying to identify all the people who are on some of these pages. <laughs> the goddamn Serpent Society, man, they're they're yeah. amazing. Uh, so uh, just yeah. just for uh, for interest of time, Ellie, I would love to talk to you another time, but uh, sure. What what an honor to just uh, oh come on share, come on you guys yeah share yeah, yeah, memories yeah. with uh with all three of you you hardly let me say anything come on come on <laughs> don't worry share yeah, memories yeah. with uh with Cut out the rest of these, and these is, and we'll, we'll talk <laughs> i would love that i would love that uh yeah. so let's let's shift to today's uh issue review oh uh, yes our homework so we're kind of we're kind of working our way through the x-men chronologically on the podcast so uh we uh basically all you need to know prior to this issue is professor x is still pretending to be dead and they just recruited Lorna Day. And that's kind of all you need uh, <laughs> for the context of this one. Um, uh, our, our issue today is X-Men number 54, which is from January 1969. It is a new year. People are getting, uh, the Americans are getting ready to land on the moon, for heaven's sakes. Uh, it is a new time, uh, new era, uh, or age of comics is coming forward. And we are two issues away from the legendary Neil Adams art, which uh, which comes into the X-Men shortly after this. Uh, so this issue is written by Arnold Drake, uh, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Vince Coletta, letters I have to by... Comment. I have oh, let, let me uh, let me finish just the credits. Letters by Gene Izzo at its Gene, Gene Izzo, who's Artie Simic's daughter. All right, so Stan hated Vinny's faces. The way that Vince 
uh, Coletta drew faces. Well, he drew he drew everybody like a stinking pretty boy with the finest little you know the blue eyes and the tiny pupils and the, the pinched features and the tiniest little sushi mouth. And uh, <laughs> this is this is a John Romita correction face stuffed into that face. So if you zoom in on the cover of X-Men 54 and look at the yeah. uh, face yeah. of the living monolith or the living pharaoh, <laughs> yeah. that's what we're yes, talking the living about. Yeah. Yes, living pharaoh. Yes. And yeah, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned Jean Izzo is the daughter of Artie Simic, who lettered our yeah. backup story here. Uh, Jean did hundreds of comics through the 60s oh, yeah. and 80s for both Marvel and DC. Oh, yeah. Uh, she died in 2012, tragically. But one of the few women who was working at Marvel at this time, when I interviewed Linda Fight, we talked about Jean briefly. So mm-hmm. uh, go back and listen to that episode if you'd like. Very uh, nice. Young woman. Any memories you want to share about Jeannie before we move in? Oh, oh, nothing that would fit in the family show. She was a she was a nice kid. Someday we'll we'll talk. Uh, yeah, she's a she seems like a lovely person from what I've heard. Actually, she really was. No, there was there was nothing nothing. That story is for another day. The the genie that we all got to know was a really sweet kid, and you know she she was good. Um, and and the I mean, when we get to my little section, I'll show you just how good she was. Because nobody, nobody liked these damn, you know, keyhole pages and these this this shattered glass uh, page layout because it drove the letterers crazy. So as we're jumping into this issue, just to recap for listeners, Cyclops has been the leader of the X-Men for a while. We don't know a lot about his backstory. There was a series of features where we saw that he was an orphan who ran away. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, manipulated for a time by the character Jack Winters or the Living Diamond, who actually just appeared this week in uh, Roy Thomas's new X-Men Legends number one. Uh, so we got to see that character return for the first time. In yeah, no, there's a guy who reads his back issues. Yeah, yeah. We've interviewed Roy on the, on the podcast, too. That man yeah. has a memory like a steel trap. It's amazing. That, yeah, um, And uh, we don't know much about Cyclops' story. We don't know yet about his parents in the plane crash. We don't know about his brother, Alex. Uh, and this is uh, the first appearance of Havoc in this. Uh, Marvel often would give us uh, kind of, for lack of better phrasing, ethnic-themed villains back then as well. We'd get some sort of jungle lord, some guy from Mexico. Some, And in this issue, we see the living pharaoh who's uh, Ahmet, uh, I don't know how to say it properly, Ahmet Abdul. Uh, who's uh, an Egyptian guy, uh, kind of thinks of himself as a pharaoh. So we're going to jump into all of that today. Uh, but uh, the cover is pretty. The 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 problem with this cover for me is the different sizes of the X-Men. It's weird in the perspective. Uh, Cyclops and Iceman are in the forefront. Angel and Beast somehow look really weirdly small, like almost like they've been shrunk. And then it's almost like they forgot Jean. Jean gets uh, like, she pops her head up in the cover in the back, like, oh, here. <laughs> She's like an I afterthought. Think- I think they were they were pickup art from the interior. Oh, fascinating! And because they just kind of splice them together. This looks really sloppy. <laughs> the yes. logo looks like crap around the uh, around the character that's overlapping it. Uh, so, the guys, uh, the guys I went, I came up through the tubes with prided themselves on making all those little lines touch. So let's turn it over to uh, Jeff, if you're willing to cover kind of our first five pages of content. Tell us what happens, what your thoughts are, uh, things that you found amusing and or inspiring, whatever you'd like to share is great. I thought I was on the second six. Oh, my apologies. No, I'm on the second six. Jeff is Jeff is on the first first six. First so Jeff, five. I, think you're, I think you're one through five. If you're if you're okay. able to, if not, I can jump in. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so <clears throat> the, the story starts out um, and it's kind of a. Uh, the main story is a flashback. And so this, the story starts out and Cyclops is waking up. He's been knocked out and he's on the floor of the, um, of the museum. 
and there's a um, police officer pointing a gun at him and uh, or security anyway. And um, he's telling him he's under arrest for murder. And um, so Cyclops is trying to remember what happened. And then it's kind of one of those little uh, the next page is kind of one of those little uh, Wayne's World, whatever I can remember it as if it happened only yesterday. And flashback. So they flash back to a school, um, Landon College, and uh, Alex is graduating. Uh, his, so this is his younger brother, um, the first mention of him, but he's graduating from college. And so they're going to see him. Uh, and they, they talk about how he was a you know, great athlete. He graduates and now it's time to let's all go out and have a beer now that you're old enough to do that. And, uh, and instead, when he goes to get changed, he gets ambushed by these uh, um, uh, very Egyptian costumed, uh, which would later be called the cult of the living pharaoh. Uh, and they, they um use the ring of silence on him, which basically sprays knockout gas in his face and thus he is silenced. Uh, so they, they take him away. And then when the, the rest of the X-Men go to meet up with him at their, at his place, he's gone. And so Gene is able to sense the psychic vibrations of whoever had been in the room and, and abducted him. Meanwhile, you get to the scene where they're in, in a base um, in the museum and the living pharaoh has Alex uh, decked out in a little, little tunic on an um, altar. And he tell, he's explaining that all of the uh, pharaohs in ancient Egypt were mutants and that uh, the blood of the pharaohs runs in, okay. in uh, Alex too. And that uh, he's going to sacrifice him to get rid of things. Uh, to put an end to that and as uh just as he raises the blade to do that he's struck with a blast that he describes as having the power of ten thousand bolts of lightning um which of course is that's a lot of power that's a lot of (laughs) power especially considering his his force is concussive and not electric but (laughs) yes keep going yeah so anyway then um they uh then the x-men confront him and the and the battle starts with of course the <clears throat> there's a lot of dialogue like it, you have a scene where one person you know is swinging their fist each person says a hundred words back and forth to each other <laughs> which is kind of how it happens at that time but that is uh the end of page five i uh yeah. am swinging my fist at you now as i swing my fist um this character uh uh the living pharaoh is not a well-loved or well-known X-Men villain, but he does have a lot of staying power. He's famously associated with that future story, The Twelve. Uh, my favorite story of the Living Pharaoh, there's a story by J.M. DeMatteis in Marvel graphic novel number 17. It's called The Revenge of the Living Monolith. It's a pretty great yeah. story and it tells his origins and it gives this character a ton of depth that he's lacking in this story. Uh, Jeff, are you a fan of this villain? I am. I, I wrote a I wrote a profile for him on my website, and that was a, it's a pretty good sized one because there's a lot of history to him, and, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So at the end of the graphic novel you talked about, he grows. He's growing bigger in power, and that's his that's his thing. It's not in the story we're talking about today, but when he blocks out someone who's who else is competing for absorbing the power as as havoc as Alex was, then he transforms into this gigantically powerful living monolith. And then in the in the graphic novel, he grows too big and he in space and he's the living planet. 
Um, and that's oh, that's crazy naturally thing. would happen, of course. <laughs> yeah, and then so it, there's a there's there's a there's a Marvel Presents story uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy that not not the ones that everyone knows that are the modern ones, but the the 31st century uh, Guardians of the Galaxy where they fight this they encounter this character called the Topographical Man, and there's a lot of discussion back and forth of whether that was the future incarnation of uh, the living monolith or not. Anyway, living Pharaoh comes back to Earth and, and uh, he's active again, doing other things. And then in some uh, uh, X-Men 384, I've, I've got it all detailed in the comments on my um, on my uh, living monolith profile. I'm the Marvel. Uh, you can go to yeah. you go to uh, it's, it's Marvoon app. So basically short for Marvel Universe Appendix, M-A-R-V-U-N-A-P-P dot com uh, backslash appendix. And then you can go to the under the letter L, go to Living Monolith. There's a whole detail of comments on it. But even though he's come back to Earth, they land on the planet that the Living Monolith had had become. And so there's obviously something must have broken off and returned to Earth and come back to come back to him. That's the whole discussed. The other things from the story that are interesting um, is Alex, he was not old enough to be graduating from college at that time. And so there's a discussion. Uh, you mentioned George Olszewski before, and he did the uh, yeah. the earliest uh, examples of the official handbook of, or of the official Marvel Index. And they did the X-Men issues with, with Mark. Um, and they talk about that. They note that, um, for one, uh, that the story takes place during uh, Peter Parker's sophomore year in college. Um, and that uh, they, they, they say that Alex is a prodigy and completed his college requirements in far less than usual four years, which is the only way that could have happened. But he's obviously not old enough to go have a brew at Jack's Shack, as they discuss. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the living, the living Pharaoh talks about all his magical weapons and they're all like gas guns and sticks he hits people with and stuff like that. So this is a guy who the, uh, Ahmed Abdul is obsessed with the concept of pharaohs. He's he's narcissistic in the way that he thinks he's special. He calls himself a pharaoh. We learn in the much later comics, and we'll do a focused episode on all this sometime. But Apocalypse is the one that kind of put his cult together that ends up worshiping him. Uh, Mister Sinister toyed with his powers as well as Alex's. So both both Havoc and the Living Pharaoh have the power to draw energy from cosmic rays and dispel it in different ways. Havoc uh, pushes out cosmic bursts, uh, blasts. The living pharaoh grows in size and becomes the living monolith. And Sinister, uh, it appears, tweaked their powers. So when Havoc is using his powers, the living pharaoh cannot access his as well. Uh, so he seems obsessed with Havoc in some of his early appearances. Sounds like a flaw. <laughs> uh, it's, huh. okay. it's crazy with, with the living pharaoh just in this story, in like classic Marvel style, that it's crazy the number of elements that are explained later over years and decades. Um, with the, fill that, in all the none, holes, yeah. Like none of which, like, is this story by itself? Like, like nothing is explained. Like just out of nowhere, there's a Pharaoh for some reason who want, who's like, Alex, you're a mutant. And I find that threatening for some reason. So I'm going to like tie you up and change your clothes between panels. Um, so that if you notice, like, um, and like, yeah, it, it's all like seems hilariously random. And that over the next 40 years, like you get apocalypse was actually involved and Mr. Sinister was involved. 
like just you know classic marvel stuff it's delicious we will also do a lot of work on the in the podcast on havoc in the near future he's a favorite we've got a huge maxi episode coming up about him but he's true to his character right from the beginning he doesn't quite measure up to scott there's lots of secret keeping he's super athletic has everything going for him but never believes in himself he's always second best uh, there's also a lot of uh, of havoc in bondage over the years, and right from like the third page of his appearance, he's strapped to a table in a tunic, uh, which Madeline Pryor picked up on later and uh, <laughs> capitalized on quite a bit. Uh, a beautiful job. Hey, Elliot, will you take the next five pages for us? Tell us what happens. Well, I'll try. It's you know, th- this is this is just going through the motions. It's basically it's body beautiful flying around, and Vinny hated doing backgrounds. He hated them. He, if he couldn't get his his people to do them. Anybody he had working for him at the time as a as a background guy, he'd just not draw it. As as Jack Abel used to point out, um, uh, Vinny has erased armies because he just want, he doesn't want to draw them. Um, uh, so this is this is Don Heck pencils, Vince Vince Coletta inks, I believe. No, uh, this is Arnold Drake. Oh, is that is that well, Arnold, is Arnold that Drake's is, the writer? That's yeah th- yeah no no no. This is uh, Don Heck. Heck Heck was now you know. I I met Don Heck for about two minutes one Christmas party. Big sweetheart, nice guy. I grew up in his Iron Man. You know, just I loved it. But everybody, if 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 everybody isn't um, um, Errol Flynn, he can't he can't draw him. Mm. And so we just get we get rubber faces, and Vinny doesn't like to fix faces, and I don't know. It's just uh, it's 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 weird. What what I'm looking at here is is just sloppy stuff. That's sure. It. Sure. I I I I see things from a production point of view because basically, when a penciler hands in the job, that's what you got. You right. you 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 unless you're a complete bastard, Barry Windsor Smith, you you don't redraw everything, <laughs> and you know make it make it yours or erase panels and rearrange them. And what I can see here is that this is post television Batman, '60s TV Batman because. They are dying. You know, the writer comes back with a copy of the page, if not the page, takes a big pencil and writes where he wants the special effects and the balloons to be placed. So then the letter, then it goes back in 69. This would go back to the letterer with a marked up page, the original page. Often there's a piece of vellum on top, but that was a luxury. And in this case, Jeannie, if she didn't work in the office, would rule up, rule up all these pages. I don't know if you guys, you know, this is this is the big action scene where the X-Men are, are taking on the Pharaoh. And uh, a letterer likes to have their balloons touching the panel borders so they don't have to draw the whole damn thing. Sure. It just sits up there. And so this, this is where people get good, people lose their minds and Kazam, Crackle, Voosh. So that would be Arnold Drake or Stan, who sure sounds like you guys hear any stan in all of this i think he rewrote a lot of stuff because that's what stan would do he would just rewrite stuff and i don't know arnold drake from a hole in the wall i mean i know him but you know i know him he's not he was he was an old world um uh illustrator guy he wasn't he wasn't a writer so he must have needed some money and leaned on stan which is fine but then we get this this mishmash and stan probably fed him the the plot Oh, in the next page, we're on page seven, where the clicking cat is at the bottom left. And uh, you can see just how bare these backgrounds are. It's funny as hell. Um, and, Gene, and Gene gives us a za-za-za-za. Yes, za-za-za-za. <laughs> and a teeny tiny character showing great depth, but, you know, misshapen figures. It's just, 
it's just funny. Um, Vinny, uh, you know. Vinny's and Gene's, uh, Gene's mask is miscolored in this issue as well. Gene's mask shows up as green here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Take your pick on who colored it. Um, they don't give coloring credits at this point. No, so they don't. probably it was, I don't, I don't know who was on staff. Patey, probably Marie. She was on staff in 67. Yeah. Yes. Marie Severin. And she could knock this out in five seconds flat. That, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating by much. Let's call it about two minutes per page. She was that fast hmm. because every color choice she's, you know, that's ever made, she's made them already a dozen or 20 times. Right. Um, and any, and basically at this point, when you've got no backgrounds to hold the color, you're working for major contrast between the foreground and background. She's done that a million times. Um, so what are we doing here? We're still fighting. Yeah, Gene. Gene is uh, projecting some sort of zazazab beams at at uh, the Pharaoh's head. It seems to be working, although he's making the cat go click, and uh, the bad guys are jumping out of more sarcophagi. Yeah, I thought about this. He like he's like two of his guys. He's like, you guys go wait in these sarcophagi until I'm ready for you. I'll, <laughs> I'll click the cat when I'm ready for you to come out. <laughs> they also stand who serve and wait. Um, <laughs> see and then we then we're on page uh, page eight for those following along and here's here's where i just i have to you know this is where you now look every letter in the world wants to not use a t-square they just want to do it all they don't want to pick up and put down tools as as, as little as possible or not at all so you can see that genie is using straight edges to do parallel lines and she's good at it uh, a little later on she does some curvy lines and she does that freehand and you can see it, but it's pretty damn good. Anyway, not in these pages. Um, so here, here we are. We're still. Uh oh, the Iceman's gonna get uh, 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 chipped. Uh, no, no, uh, with a big sword. And uh, we have uh, Ferzerts. Somebody who's doing what to whom in the that second panel? You guys see that? <laughs> I think uh, I think Iceman's freezing that guy's face. Is he freezing his face? Because it turned green. He should have. Yeah, been he, thre off. he threatened. He threatened him that he was looking for an ice ice cube kimono. That's right, an ice cube kimono. Yes, yes. That's Stan rewriting. That's not. <laughs> that's not anybody else. Uh, that's the trouble. Um, Stan was big, Budinsky. <clears throat> he just he wouldn't stop. <laughs> Especially, especially if he thought one of his pals was was out there, he'd always step up to help. Um, I was shocked in my reread here to see on page eight, Angel takes a spear through the wing. Now, there's these famous images of him getting harpooned <laughs> in the Morlock massacre, right? But he fucking takes a spear through the wing and just like pulls it out. He's like, "Oh, ouch!" You're like, "That's not how wings work. It's not like a it's not like a loose mass of feathers that you can just fire through. There's like bones and arteries in there." How and meanwhile, so when when he gets a spear shoved into his wing. He does say, he says, oops, I've been, <laughs> pin, I've been pinned, boys. Pinned. And, and I don't mean with a fraternity pin. <laughs> That's what I always say That's when Stan. I get stabbed. Yeah, when I get stabbed <laughs> through the wing, yeah. Like there's the, the, like Chad mentioned, there's the famous page where he's being tortured by the, by the marauders, like having his wings, you know, speared. And here it's just like, oops. Oops. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a uh, help is on the way, my feathery friend. Bowamp. This is this is all this. The, okay, so Stan, what you guys you know probably know, is that Stan essentially wrote everything. And when I say everything, I'm not kidding. He rewrote this. Which and he was a, lot a of touch typist. I understand. Um. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But he was the editor in chief, and he was the you know the head guy for so many years that nobody questioned him. 
Um, he, Stan, you know, you might be surprised to know, had a long memory, too. Mm -hmm. um, in page nine, um, you can see there's no backgrounds. There's icy stuff. There is no parallel line. So either Jeannie didn't, you know, didn't do the second line or she said, OK, this is good enough for me. And then all the text is jammed in there. It's very sloppy. Now, you know, one of the biggest things, the, the endless battles that we all had back in the day was balloon placement. Everybody wants to do it their own way. There's only one way. We read from left to right and top to bottom in America. And we must do that in a comic book and make sure that you can follow those those little those little so yeah, here we, here we are on the top. You can see how the balloons are touching the top of the page. That's what a letterer wants. That's makes them makes them happy. And here she is, she goes right over the panel border in the second panel on the right. That's probably Stan making sure there's a big hard line. Stan used to use these horrible pencils. Uh, do I have them? I used to have them right here. I had I stole a package from his desk. Anyway. Um, black velvet pencils. They were the softest, most beautiful. He would go whoosh, and you'd have a mark that looked like a magic marker on your page, but it was a pencil. And he would probably indicate these things. And oh, uh, 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 John Romita uh, bemoaned the fact that Stan would mark up his stuff because it was hard to erase it completely. Anyway, yes, here we are. Zap against zap, but no sound effect. Uh oh, I guess we're running out of energy. I mean, Genie is running out of energy. And where are we? Oh, yes, more crazy panels. Yes, <clears throat> floating uh, delirium. Yes. And uh, you know what? I'll bet you a nickel, upper right hand of page 10 in that uh, in panel, what well, might be panel three, the Pharaoh's face. I would swear that Vinny was working at Ross Andrews Studio, whatever that was, because that's a Ross Andrew face. Just people helping out. Just you Cy buddies. Cyclops Just is how collaborative this all sounds, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Vinny was a lazy bastard. I mean, you know, I mean, a hardworking <laughs> lazy bastard, but he he would really be happy if somebody else did the work for him. Cyclops all he wanted to do is the face. Is, uh, is yellow in this issue a bunch of times, too, which is a weird color choice. It's normally red. Ha. Huh. I like that. Yeah, not surprised. So I'm not I'm I'm not giving you as much of the action and the storytelling as you guys might want, but you know, we know who's I, gonna win in the end. I love hearing your technical know-how. I think Jean uh Jean's looking great in that last Oh no, her lettering is very good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it's it's kind of sexy if you're into if you're into her green mini dress. Uh and she talks about her brain vibrations getting bounced her, back. They're getting her. bounced back, yes, yeah. yeah. Well see, and this is another thing. Vinny, it, whatever wherever the pencils were. Vinny raised him up. That's that's just that's the end of that. It's it. There's no no two ways about that. Vinny Vinny was a, a um. He chased women. He was married. He had kids. That's not what I mean. He chased women. He just flirted endlessly and he drew women. That's all he wanted to draw all day long. So whenever he had to stop and draw people, well, we got some pretty good looking boys in here. You know, they were all the guys running around were very sweetly drawn with fine features and the poofy lips. I'm, t I'm telling you, and you could do worse than to imitate him, but here's the sad thing about Vinny. When he cared, he was extraordinarily good. Um, he really did have the best line weight in the business. He could do feathering strokes. I mean, you can see some of the shadows on the, on the, on the body. 
the 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 feathering lines are so teeny tiny they're almost in they almost close up from the from the printing process that's how fine they are mm-hmm. and this was back in the steel plate days so it's, it's so fascinating to learn some of the behind the scenes stuff and to hear the stories about the people who created it's also worthy of noting uh jeff mentioned his profile on the living pharaoh he also did a yes. profile on the appendix about the cult of the living pharaoh oh and my. here's an example we have two characters who are given names in this book baresh and malik uh, so those are noted as two members of the cult of the living pharaoh in Jeff's profile. It's an example of what it's like to keep track of these minor characters. There you go. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, uh, Gabe, take us through the the uh, pages eleven through fifteen. We'll close out the story here. Yeah, sure. Um, so at the beginning of page eleven, um, the X Men appear to have the cult of the living pharaoh on the ropes um, because you see they. It's it's kind of funny. They the cronies, the pharaoh's cronies, start to run away and. What I found funny about this page is Iceman shouts as as they escape through a tunnel. Um, Iceman shouts, "The barrier is diminishing, but it's still too rough to handle." I have no idea what that means. Um, this tunnel, like uh, I don't know what this barrier is. Like they haven't introduced to this point that there's a barrier. <laughs> like uh, what what it it's means. It's right there, point. man. It's right there. Yeah. It's the wavery yellow lines, and it's going re. So, <laughs> can't you see? Have you sound. not eyes to see? It's just it's a wall I, of I, sound. Yeah, I don't have, I have the... to. I have to interrupt here for a second, guys, because while I've got you know my fellow Marvel Universe maniacs, one of the reasons ever says, "Oh, you got to see uh, the Big Bang Theory. Oh, you'd love it. It's just the Big Bang." I said, "I lived the Big Bang Theory. The Big <laughs> Bang Theory was the Marvel bullpen. It's just been changed a little bit. That's all. No big deal. We're fighting over wall of sound. It doesn't show up. Well, there it is. It's just drawn oh, badly." Just... Well, of course, there'd be a wall of sound. How else could they run through? They just run and chase them and they catch them. They don't want to be caught. So anyway, I have to. I, I just had to. Sorry, fellas. Hey, no, no you're great. Thanks, Gabe. Um, as Cyclops proceeds to free Alex from uh, the shackles. And um, and Alex is surprised to learn that his brother is Cyclops <laughs> of the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, very, you know, so then the, the rest of the X-Men field they're intruding on a private moment between scott and alex so they they leave so they can hash that out and cyclops can give his his story um on the next page page 12 before cyclops can really say much the living the living pharaoh is back he's he's like i've returned you know yeah he's been gone for like four panels It's, it's kind of funny but he's returned and he has the curse of the pharaoh's eyes which is like a statue that he holds over his head um, and we don't see that statue very well, do we? No, it's, it's not really clear. Um, of all the times not to violate the panel border. We, I want to see the rest of that. It shows yeah, up again in a, in a living mummy story in supernatural thrillers. But that's not uh, this story. I, I yes, but thank you. You're very, very good. Doesn't, doesn't get much more of a deep cut than that. Um, but hmm. the, um, Cyclops does say strange luminescent jewels gleaming at us, burning through to the brain. Um, so, and it, he describes it as having like a hypnotic effect. So Alex and Cyclops are knocked unconscious. And then on the following page, page 13, it brings us back to where this book started with Cyclops waking up. Uh, two policemen who have somehow discovered the Pharaoh's lair and a uh, also appear to know who the pharaoh is and uh have a cute the pharaoh is lying unconscious on the ground or appears to be dead on the ground dead and 
the police uh, and the police are just, you know, say Cyclops are under arrest for the murder of the Pharaoh and they're, and Cyclops uh, realizes that Alex is gone and it figures that, and he pieces together in his head that Alex must've killed the Pharaoh and run away. <laughs> so um, uh, Cyclops quickly dispose knocks the two policemen unconscious and runs away as well to go find and, and help out Alex. And you um, notice the Dimac death touch on the, on the cops back or the security guards back. It's an open. Oh yeah. It looks like he's giving slap. him a nice open-handed pat on the back. Yep. But it, <laughs> That's all it takes. The death touch. I'm telling you. Yeah. The page uh, 14, the two police officers come to and Cyclops has escaped and you see um, the X-Men who, who are listening to a radio and uh, they hear that Cyclops is wanted for m- murder and for beating up two policemen. And, uh, James and Gene, says, I Gene and Bobby are looking. Be. Gene and Bobby are looking fabulous here. I love. I love these. Uh, these sixties outfits. They're. They're kind of. I'm hot. telling you guys. Yeah, I was digging that mini skirt. Vinny slowing down to draw girls is just what he does. It's that simple. <laughs> and and the guys too. I mean, he's drawing male models. I mean, he, he used to be a fashion photographer, or that's what he called himself. <laughs> I, I, I'm not jealous or anything, or even you know, threatened by him just because he had more money to spend on knockoff uh, Hasselblads than than I did. Oh, sorry, no. uh, Gabe. Uh, Gabe, you were saying. Oh, don't no, don't be sorry. It's adding some color to all this. Um, okay. And the the last page, you see Cyclops has wandered through the tunnels that I guess were running from the Pharaoh's lair. Um, and who does he run into? But the Pharaoh, who's not actually dead. <laughs> Shocker. Uh, so the Pharaoh in this issue has like disappeared, reappeared, died, and come back to life. And uh, then the Pharaoh. Uh, closes out the issue by letting Cyclops know that while he is descended from immortal pharaohs who have 10,000 lives, Cyclops has but one life, which is about to end. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, leaves us on that nice little cliffhanger. What do you guys think of the living pharaoh's costume design? Pretty bad. (laughs) You know, I'm sure it's very comfortable when you're, you know, sitting down, but... uh... I kind of like that they gave us a tunic. You don't see a lot of bad guys with uh, with like the skirts, right? Uh, are you kidding? What are you talking about? This is standard issue Kang. Look at that! Look at that big neck piece and the two the two bolts. It's it's still Doctor Doom. The the sandals look the, comfortable. between I, the eyes. I think he's got some comfortable looking sandals. The the Pharaoh. <laughs> it's a nice little bow tie on the top. Yeah, you're right there. How does his that stay are, on? His, his feet are really ugly in that picture. That's not the yeah. best foot drawing I've ever seen. Once I think again. I can draw. I could draw feet. Uh, I I'll also, I'll, I'll, I'll point out the Pharaoh's face has been retouched by John Romita as well. Yeah, John John never liked Vinny's uh, faces. Uh, now, it's worth noting just for continuity, and again, we'll do a focus on this uh, episode on this later. Cyclops and Havoc are brothers. Uh, they grew up with their parents who were taken by the Shi'ar in a plane crash, basically. Both these kids survived and they were put into an orphanage, separated right. into different orphanages. Alex was adopted while uh, Scott remained in Mr. Sinister's care. They have not talked a lot over the years. Uh, Both of them have been manipulated by Mr. Sinister before. And clearly there's a lot of distance in their relationship. Uh, Alex does not know Scott is a mutant. Uh, Scott has never mentioned the fact that he has a brother to his teammates who he spends all his time with. 
So there's a, there's a lot of distance in that relationship, which we'll analyze. Uh, so I'll cover the last five pages very quickly. Uh, we finally get an angel backup. We've had a little backup features for the other X-Men previous to this, except for Marvel Girl, but Professor X, Beast, Cyclops, and uh, Iceman have all had backup features. In this one, we get a story by Arnold Drake. And just to note, this is Arnold Drake's last issue of the X-Men. Roy Thomas takes back over the writing with the next issue and, and writes until the end of the book uh, being canceled at number 66. Uh, Werner Roth on pencils. We get Vince Galetta again and Artie Simak, who's Gene's dad, on letters. Uh, we get to see Angel as a boy. We, uh, we have met his parents before in that story where Magneto put them to sleep and tried to use their DNA to create an army of robot clones, if you guys remember that from earlier in the podcast. Uh, we see a young Warren who has climbed high into a tree to find his dad's golf balls in a bird nest. Uh, his parents are hysterical and very likely drunk. They are uh, billionaires in... <laughs> <laughs> the social set of the time. His mom just sits by the pool and drinks all day. Uh, we'll talk more about the Worthingtons. A bird scares him and he falls out of the tree. And as he's falling, he goes, luckily, our new $20,000 swimming pool was right below. And it was worth every blub, blub, blub as he lands in the water. Direct um, quote. <laughs> their, uh, their family butler, who is Warren's own private butler, I think he's supposed to be British. Uh, he gives us like a big pardon, master, but I, I just want to make him southern almost the way that this uh Malta? no, this is Stan Lee writing. This is an Arnold Dre. I don't know. Stan passed over this. I read it almost because... as a big pardon, master. Like he uh yeah, it sounds it sounds like Riff Raff from uh the, the um Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> yeah. Master yeah, or whatever. Yeah. That's actually uh magenta. Master. Uh, Warren's parents are so overwhelmed with having one child that they need to send him off to boarding school. Uh, on page three, we see him go off to boarding school. Now, this era of his life is very beautifully explored in uh, that Angel Revelations series uh, that takes place a few years back. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty series. Go read it if you haven't. But uh, he's excelling at sports, but he's very private. He's, uh, he's noticing some weird growths under his skin. Uh, and when uh, he wakes up with a feather in his bed one day, he realizes, holy shit, I've got wings. Uh, so he gets a private room. He uh, And this is a lot of Warren's character. He's very privileged, very special, but feels very isolated, like he has to hide. That's a lot of the uh, Warren. Poor kid. Yeah, gee. Uh, but he learns he can fly. One day there's a fire at the school. He flies out the window, stops by the costume department to put on a wig and a robe, <laughs> gets some ropes, <laughs> and he saves the kids who are like, holy shit, it's an angel. And uh, we're going to find out who it is. And that's continued into his next backup feature. I uh, We just did a focused episode on uh, Warren Worthington on the podcast recently. I actually really like this character. I like this era of the character. I used to. <laughs> uh, this is him. Uh, this is his character up until he's changed into Archangel, where it's him versus his dark side for like the rest of continuity. Uh, but I actually am really fond of this guy. Any comments from you guys on the backup before we wrap up for the day? I just think the scene where all the kids are pointing at his shoulder blades, like, hey, look at your giant shoulder blades. (laughs) It's like, really? They don't look that big, but, you know, maybe they're feathers. Shouldn't they be a little, like, red and debrated? yeah. Like, is there's giant things growing inside that haven't erupted through his shoulder? Uh, I tell you. Yes, comic uh, book art. I love Love shit where, like, people are burning to death in the fire, but he's like, I better stop by the costume department before I help them. Hey, he can fly. Can you fly? No, you can't fly. I cannot. Nope. Uh, he can, he'll rescue people. You just mind your own business with that. Secret identities, man. People they, were, they were all their age. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, this yeah. is an absolute joy to spend this time with you. I feel emotional and inspired and happy uh, all at the same time. 
what a treasure trove of experiences and memories uh, this has been to share with each other. Thank you. Thank no, you. No, no, no. We're not done yet. No, no, no. I want to hear about uh, good animal cases, and I want to hear about about a nice lawsuit that sticks out. Come on. <laughs> oh, well. And my day, my day job is as a therapist, so I have lots of mental health oh, stories. To share. You can't yeah, talk about you, that. You got the confidentiality. Well, I guess I have the confidentiality. No, too, just but, make uh, everybody but, you know patient X. Yeah, you anonymize. Um, um, as we are wrapping up, uh, let everybody know where, if you'd like to share, where they can find you online. Uh, recognizing this comes out toward the end of August, is there if there's anything you'd like to plug around things that you are working on or have coming forward in your life or in your work? Elliotrbrown.com. Your, with your websites. Uh, I, it, yeah. Feel free to share. Uh, Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter under Gray Malkin PP like podcast or on Instagram under Gray Malkin underscore Lane. Uh, our next episode features the history of Cerebro, the computer. Uh, after that, we have Sandy Plunkett joining us for our next uh, issue review. Cool. So I'm, I'm uh, really excited about that. Um, so as we're exiting, uh, let's go in the order of Gabe and then Elliot and then Jeff. Yeah, um, Chad, thanks for having me on. Um, this has been been a blast. Uh, great, great to see you. And great to see you. Uh, and uh, Elliot, it's great to meet you. And, and Jeff, uh, you know, it's been almost 20 years that I've been working with you on like comic book stuff uh, on the website, but never actually interacted with you in real time. So it's really nice to meet you over Zoom. Um, Absolutely. I don't, I don't have uh, really a much of an online presence, but uh, and, I, and I don't have anything to plug. But it's been a yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks, guys. A law career, a wife, and a baby on the way. That's plenty. Yeah, good luck, buddy. Yeah. Yep, and, and hope yeah, everything goes got, nice and smooth. That'd be nice. Yeah, thanks. We've got uh, about two more months to go. Because believe me, the biting in the in the in the in the waiting room is nothing compared to the the, the, the pistol shot off to the races with that kid. You'll see. Shenandoah. It's always a, you know. Get uh yeah. get yourself ready, read the books, get the supplies, but also recognize you will have no idea what you're doing for the first few months. No clue. Just grow with it. It's like you move to a new city, you think you know what you're doing, but you gotta learn the lay of the land. That's kind of how parenting is. You just gotta take your time and figure it You'll out. You'll see. It's great and awful and great. Thanks. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh Elliot, do you want to go next? Uh, you guys, I wanted to talk more about your, your experiences in the, in what's a new Marvel to me, but that's okay. That's fine. Maybe next time we can, we got, we can hang out after that'd be fine too. All right. I want, I'm, that's fine. Um, uh, uh, I, I had a very strange career in comics and I can't, uh, I can't remember anything. And, and, you know, I read this the first time around, uh, issue 54, I can barely remember it. I know the cover. I must have seen the covers more often. But um, I tell you guys, too many comics. You guys are lucky. You still got your marbles. Go on, Jeff. Uh, well, uh, plug your blog for us, Elliot. Where can oh, Elliot R. Brown. Dot one, my middle initial is R, and I spell my name with one L and one T, and it's all one word, Elliot R. Brown. Dot and it's com. worth looking at. Treasure trove of information. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's I I wasted a lot of time taking pictures. I should have taken more. Yeah, that's, really that's the big that's the big thing. And what am I working on? Um, I make aftermarket parts for uh, uh, commercially available models. I make acid etched brass details for existing model kits to make them better and you know easier to use. Um, that's a small business. That's that's nothing to do with comics. Um, I, I hope to make a um, a six or eight inch uh, scale model of the the original helicarrier because the the what they've done to it 
it's kind of weird, but that's okay. You know, it, 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 the idea of a big propeller in the sky, nothing wrong with that, holding up a an aircraft carrier. Um, stuff like that. I'm a model maker. I do, I'm a miniaturist. I do stuff like that. I got, I got too many interests. I'm, you know, it's bad stuff. I'm not even, I'm, I'm retired, but not really. You know, I, I just, I just did a big thing with, um, uh, Larry Hama. I'm not even sure I'm supposed to talk about it <laughs> mm. where, um, uh, um, he needed an underground base that he, that he could uh, distance himself from the, um, GI Joe franchise with so that he could sell an additional poster. And, and that was great. That was fun. That took too damn long, but that's the trouble. I'm not set Larry, up to draw anymore. Larry's a great guy. He is a great guy. He really is. Good man. Did, Good man. Did you guys know he was on MASH? A little bit, yeah. He, oh, he was yeah. on an episode of MASH. He, he uh, held old, up his old. last royalty check, his last residual check of 35 cents when I was <laughs> on staff with him. So, yeah. I love little nuggets like that. I was chatting with someone recently who told me Lenore Zan, who does the voice of Rogue from the animated series, went on to join the Canadian Parliament. And I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> I love I love that okay. stuff. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yes. That prepares uh, you. And then, uh, Jeff, do you want to go to us? Sure. Uh, so, um, yeah, my uh, my wife and I just celebrated our uh, 25th anniversary. And... Um, <laughs> I got I got brushes that are 25 years old. That's fine. <laughs> 37 for me. I'm a lot older than these guys. These guys, <laughs> we got married later. But uh, I remember uh, actually, Gabriel, you, we signed you up to write for Marvel, but then you weren't even eight. We found you weren't 18. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we had to wait a couple of years until. We could yeah, well, what's funny is that I deck. I mean, it was like the 2004 Hulk handbook. And I actually had already written a few profiles, <laughs> which they still used. Um, you know, but like, um, but, but I just got a special thanks in the book, which I guess that's even worse. Like I didn't like, they, you know, they still used my work, but, um, and that was like all the stuff we did for the, the, the Spider-Man encyclopedia, you know, that was a ton of stuff that we did. That was just a special thanks to, but anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, I still, I still write, you know, the, the appendix, um, we're uh, we're working on you know uh, we just did a Spider-Man uh, anniversary celebration and they did like a uh, 60 new alternate reality Spider-Mans in that um, it just finishes up uh, today and then uh, that, that's what I do in, in my uh, you know spare time I, I work I, I run my own business uh, Superior Veterinary Surgical Solutions um, and I work at an animal specialty hospital in Rockledge Florida um, I do some work at the zoo. Uh, every once in a while, they'll, they'll call me in to do something that they're not comfortable doing. Uh, that uh, bear, giraffe, and I'm sorry, not a giraffe, an ostrich. Um, uh, just did a um, couple kangaroos and, and things like that. Um, Excellent. I just they and they always when I when I do something at the zoo, this is for your benefit, Elliot. Suggest for the animal stories. Yeah. The zoo always says is like, hey. Um, can you do a uh, a spay on a siamang? I was like, yeah, sure. And I go over and Google siamang. I'm like, what is that? Oh yeah, it's it's, a, it's an ape. All right, yeah, sure, yeah. And uh, it's like I, they had to tell me like what's different about that um, animal, but that's doing a surgical procedure that they're not comfortable doing. You want um, me to cut out its genitals, but first, what is it? <laughs> yes, what is, yes, yes. I'm good with that, but yeah. We're not, not, we're not cutting off its genitals. Just no, no, no. Gonads. Reproductive system. I got it. I got it. Okay, it's but uh, yeah, yeah, you got to figure out, you know, it's all different things. Don't uh, get all like, technical. No, oh, like, yeah, how, we have a fracture in a clip springer. Okay. What is a clip springer? Let me go look that up. But, uh, yeah, so, 
So doing that, uh, like I said, the, the appendix, uh, I, I do a lot of Marvel uh, music trivia and, and uh, exercise workout and uh, like both uh, uh, Gabe uh, was also, a, a, you know, wrestled in high school. Did you wrestle in college too? Uh, just just high school. Yeah, me too. Um, but anyway, um, so. Yeah, I see some unusual the, muscles there, uh, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Jeff just flexed for the for the. Well cameras. done, sir. Well done. <laughs> yes. Sorry for all the podcast listeners that you couldn't have seen that. It was impressive. It's true. Yep. It might have been so good that it shows through anyway, even though they. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yes, yes, doctor, yes, as you, as you, <laughs> yeah, you put it, you put it well. <laughs> all right, everybody, this has been a blast. Thank you all for hanging out with us, uh, and we will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Graham Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Graham Malkin Lane.